to PRN, Pause, Renew, Next, a podcast about soul care, scripture, and stories of faith. I'm your host, Jenny Detweiler, and I'm so happy that you've joined me today. I have actually one of my favorite people on the podcast today. No, he's not one of my favorite. He is my favorite person, and he's our first repeat guest. And also, you win for most convenient because we live together. It's my husband, Derek. Hoorah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Um, so he and I were watching The Social Dilemma the other day. I don't know how many of you guys have watched that. It's a, it's a, a documentary on Netflix. And it made me think about a lot of things that actually I've been considering for a long time about technology. And, and so while I was thinking about it, I thought maybe we could just have a conversation on the podcast about it. So I like to come to this conversation sort of from a personal standpoint, but also a mental health standpoint. And my husband, which I'll let him introduce himself in just a minute, uh, works in the tech industry, so he can kind of come at it from that angle. So I thought it would just be kind of cool if we could have a conversation about technology, how it's affecting us, and kind of talk about soul care and what it has to do with soul care as well. So Derek, would you like to introduce yourself and share a little bit about your job? Sure. So my name is Derek Detweiler, and I am Jenny's husband. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I am a game developer. I bake games for the web um, and for mobile devices. Uh, I've, I've done a lot of stuff for like PBS Kids, so those are probably my most popular games as far as the number of people who know about them. <laughs> uh, and then I have made a couple of games and other things for other other companies as well. And um, I do it from home, so it's a it's a perfect job for uh, this season of COVID-19. <laughs> yes, we're thankful. Um, that he works from home, so we get to see him more often. And he is not a name dropper, but I am, and I'm proud of him, so I'm going to drop some names real quick. He's worked with cool companies like Wildcrats. He's worked with Cat in the Hat and Jim Henson's company doing dinosaur train games on PBS Kids. What other, whichever other ones have you done? Ready, Jet, Go? Yep. Yeah. And also his most famous game came out, what, about 10 years ago? And it's called Entanglement. So if you've ever played that game or if you haven't before, you should go check it out. He also turned it into a board game. So that's pretty cool too. I'm proud of him. He's awesome. And so anyway, today I wanted to kind of talk with you about the tech industry and some of the things that kind of came up in the Social Dilemma movie or some of your thoughts about it. So as you watched it, what stood out to you? Was there anything surprising or had you already heard all that stuff before? Um, I, I wanted to say it's surprising um because i've worked in it for a while i kind of know how things work um and and how like the different platforms monetize people um and and so i wouldn't say i was surprised um i think it was interesting seeing it like kind of uh the way it's laid out in in the movie as far as um the concerns that it, it brings up which i I don't know. I have a sense of awareness of how things work. Um, I'm not sure that I'm always as concerned as I should be about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, I think overall is a great way to kind of bring awareness to people. I think that may be the, the important thing about it is like, what's, what's happening with the things that you post on Facebook and Twitter and, and like how the like button and all these other things aren't, aren't quite as innocent and unassuming as they seem. So and I think that's good for people to know about. Um, like, obviously, like I know 
the kinds of algorithms and things that that's used for, um, but I'm not sure that just everyone is. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for people that haven't seen the movie, I know I think it's kind of popular right now in the last couple of weeks. It's been really popular. It is kind of like a documentary, I guess. I don't know if it would be considered that. Um, about social media, and they interview some people that worked for some of the big companies like Google, Twitter, Instagram, about how they started all that with good intentions and how it's kind of taken on a life of its own to some extent now and how um, it's hijacking our brains to some extent and causing addiction and a lot of other things. I mean, I think that there were some good things they talked about too. It wasn't all bad. I did learn some things, I think, in watching it that I didn't know before, although a lot of the mental health aspects I was already aware of. I just didn't maybe have all the background information that they shared on there. Um, The thing that stood out to me that was concerning and actually kind of goes with soul care, which is why I want to talk about it on the podcast, is the addiction component of social media and not just social media, but really a lot of the things that have to do with our smartphones and how they are actually programmed in such a way to create that in our brains. So when we are getting likes on our posts or whatever, it gives us a little dopamine hit in our brains. And so as background for people who may not know a whole lot about dopamine, um, and I'm going to give just a brief overview, uh, dopamine is a neurotransmitter, and it kind of is the reward center of the brain. So when you smell brownies, you get a little dopamine hit. Um, and in good ways, what happens is anything rewarding that we do in life, so hugs from our friends or somebody giving you a compliment or eating a good meal, all those kinds of things create dopamine. And that is a beautiful thing because it makes us want to have so- social connection. It makes us want to eat food and not starve ourselves to death. It makes all the things that God created us to do really good. What happens with social media or any kind of addiction is that it gets hijacked in such a way that it's coming more rapidly than it should. And um, uh, I don't think that we were really, our brains were really created for that to be happening all the time and needing to check and recheck and recheck how many people liked it, how many people liked it, and the mood swings that can come with that when people haven't, all those kinds of things. So those were the, the parts that really stood out to me and how it affects all of our mental health, but especially kids and adolescents who are growing up with that as a framework for normal life, like their brains are being programmed for that. So I'm kind of wondering for you, babe, since you do not work in social media, but you do work in the tech industry more on the gaming side, does that same sort of component come up in gaming and what does that look like? Well, I would say it certainly does. I mean, I'm basically in the industry of making people have fun. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about people wanting to do things that are fun to do. Um, and like, I mean, you're using the word dopamine, but I think that like, that's essentially what playing a game does. It's mm-hmm. like you're doing an activity that makes you feel good. Um, and I think you can, you can have the same types of tendencies with, with anything like that, where um, I think there's, there's definitely good ways you can go about it. Cause I mean, like, the desire when you're creating a game is that people have fun. Like that's mm-hmm. the whole point of the game of it being a game. Um, I mean, it may not be the core point of the game, but if you're creating a game, you're wanting to create something that is fun for someone. Um, and I've seen it used in poor ways. At least I view them as not the best use of, of gaming um, where like if your core, if your core motive is to try to 
get people to keep coming back to the game again and again and spending money on the game and to the point where they can't do anything but play the game. Like, I think that's a problem. Um, and there are games that are specifically designed with that kind of loop in mind where it's um, to get to the next level um, or the next to unlock the next thing. The best thing you can do is. Um... Well, I'm thinking about when you first started your company one of the things that you talked to me a lot about was the fact that a lot of the startup companies, the way that they were making money was to make it so that you would have to keep buying components to be able to keep going and how you felt like that was kind of wrong because they were targeting people who had low self-control and were going to spend all their money buying the next thing to be able to keep playing the game and stuff like that. And how that really wasn't how you wanted to make money because you felt like that wasn't uh, wise really. Um, yeah, so so one one type of monetization in gaming is is a free to play model. Um, so the game is free, um, but then once you have the game, it's easier to progress. It's easier to make pro progress in the game by paying money, and that model only works as far as I've I've read. I haven't actually implemented this kind of game, but as far as I've read, that model only works if you have what are called whales, and whales are people who spend a ton of money um, on the game and they basically uh, pay for the game to exist for everyone else. And so you're basically taking advantage of people who do not have self-control um, or in some cases it could even be taking advantage of kids who have gotten into the game and are using their parents' credit card. Like you don't know who these whales are. Um, and that has been an issue with that style um, of game. And so that's not a model that I've ever wanted to use because I know it takes advantage of the worser part of people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, but like on the flip side, I see, I see games as a great place for learning. And I think that's why I enjoy doing stuff for PBS kids because you can take something that's fun that you, you enjoy doing, but then you're building structure into it so that, that a kid is learning and developing and, and figuring out new ways to solve problems. Um, and so I think, I think there are, I think there's two sides of the coin. Like you could take advantage of it and, and, it has bad fruit or you take advantage of it in a way that um, is good. So. Yeah, yeah. As you were talking, I was thinking too about one of the things we've talked about about modern day games is that there's not an end so much. So PBS Kids, obviously that's not true. Like you can't play those games forever. Like you can beat levels and at some point there's an end. But a lot of modern day video games, there isn't an end. Like you could keep playing potentially forever. So there's no stop point at which you feel like you've achieved and can shut it off because it could keep going forever. And they kind of do that on purpose. So the whole part about playing the game, I think is really cool. And one of the, it reminds me of a quote by Karen Purvis, which I may get this slightly wrong, but it's something like, it takes like 400 times of repetition to remember something, but if you use play, it takes 20. So I think being able to play fun games, especially for, for for the purpose of learning is actually a great technology benefit. And at the same time, I'm wondering too, I don't know what the research would show about this, but if, if I'm thinking about kids playing your game, if they feel like they've achieved, if they got to the end and they learned some things along the way, then they're getting like a really good, healthy dopamine hit at the end. Like, look at me, I achieved, I got a reward. I feel good about myself. The crap brothers are dancing. Like, it's all good. <laughs> but with some other games, which I will not name, I don't know that you would, I guess you would get that at certain points during the game, but there isn't really an end. It just keeps going and going. Yeah. I mean, it's built, there are games that are built that way where like, especially with the free to play model, um, 
there are definitely games where, um, like mathematically, they are um, exponentially more difficult to get to the next level. Um, so you you may spend a very little bit of time in the very beginning to make some good progress, and that kind of gets you into the flow of wanting to continue to make progress. But then, as you get more into the game, um, making progress becomes harder and harder. And a lot of times, that's when they'll bring in monetization, where it's like, well, you could like short shortcut here if you paid this much money or whatever. But basically, um, there is no end, um, and it's really easy to do that with exponential numbers because you can, like, you can go from one to two easily. Two to four is not bad. Four to eight is not bad. 8 to 16, now 16 to 32, like if you keep doubling how, how long it's going to take to do something, as far as the amount of work you're putting into as a developer, it's, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Um, but you basically built in a system where people can be spending inordinate amounts of time trying to get to this next level that is twice as hard as the last thing they did or twice as long or whatever, um, mm-hmm. just to bring them back. And so I think in that way, it it has similarities to like the endless news feed or whatever on Facebook or yeah. Twitter where, where you just, can just keep refreshing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, and yeah, you can just keep going and going. There's no end. And like, even if there's a milestone, um, as soon as you achieve that, I mean, the way our brains work is like, Oh look, there's something else to do now. And I got to get to the next level because then right. it will be great. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. One of the other things they talked about in the social dilemma that I felt like was really concerning. And I think it was their, one of their main points in the movie was, was that the way that they originally monetized it was through commercials. And now they're taking our information and instead of selling it to some third company, like bad guy or government or something like that, it's more like the computers themselves are taking our information and creating algorithms for us personally to be able to keep us on longer and longer and paying attention not like there's somebody who's sitting there paying attention to what we're doing, but like the computers themselves are tracking us over time and getting better at deciding um, what's going to keep us there longer. So they're going to show us advertisements that keep us there longer, and they're going to give us notifications when we haven't been there in a couple of minutes to make us pull up our phone and look again. And and all that is really concerning <laughs> for a lot of reasons, because even the developers of it themselves are saying they fall prey to it, and they're the ones that made it. So it's like it's taking a, a human thing that's normal for our brains and kind of um, utilizing it to its advantage and our disadvantage, and we're not even aware that it's happening. So I want to talk about the time suck for a minute because that's always something that's really important to you. It's been important to you your whole life is your time and being able to use it the way that you want to use it. Right. Yeah, and for people that don't know my husband, he was homeschooled as a child, And the thing that you loved about that most was that you had the day to kind of do your own thing. And now you work from home and can set your own schedule and all that (laughs) kind of stuff. But you're also one of the most disciplined people that I know at being able to know yourself and where you fall prey. So do you want to talk a little bit about like how for you, you're able to set boundaries on your own technology use? What does that look like for you? Um, So, yeah, this is is an interesting one because I think that like it's true for as far as like things that use up our time, I think social media is a big one. Gaming is a big one. Um, and, um, I think like, so I think the biggest thing is to be first aware of, of where your time's going. Like if you're not aware that you're spending however long on Facebook or whatever, then, um, it's really easy to, to lose a lot of time that way. Um, so I'd say that's the first thing is I just, I try to be aware of what I'm spending time on. And then, 
and then I've, I've set limits for myself. And so most, as far as I'm aware, most mobile phones will let you do this. You can set times of how long you allow yourself to be on certain apps. And so I've set timers of like, I think 15 minutes a day or something on Facebook and Instagram. Cause I don't particularly like, I enjoy those applications or those social networks uh, to keep up with my friends and family, but it's really easy for me to like start losing a sense of how long I've been on Facebook um, without some sort of time limit, without some sort of guide on that, because I don't want to be spending 30 minutes on Facebook a day. I don't need to spend 30 minutes on Facebook um, to do what I enjoy Facebook for. And that's keeping in touch with friends and family. Um, if it gets past 15 minutes, then I'm probably not using it to that end anymore. I'm just kind of browsing to browse or whatever. So that's one thing I do um, just because like, I think, I think for me, it's, it's, it's taking it, taking some time to step back and look at what you really want to be spending your time on and then using that as a guide to um, set structure or rather me setting using as a guide to set structure for myself um, so that in the moment I'm not spending time on things I don't really want to be spending time on. I don't want to, I don't want to look back at the last hour and be like, Oh man, I've been spending an hour on Facebook and I haven't done a single thing yet. And so, um, and so to that end, um, that, that's one of the things I do is, is set times on particular apps. Um, and I will, um, there's also extensions for browsers that, um, do similar things. And so if I notice that a particular website I'm spending too much time on, um, then I'll, I'll, uh, set up a timer on that page and it'll be like, you can look at this page for five minutes and then that's it. Um, it won't let you look at it the rest of the day. And so like, I know those are things that like in the moment I'm not thinking about. Um, and so then I try to set structure for myself when I'm not in that moment, just so that it's not an issue. Um, it's not something I have to uh, be aware of because it's like, oh, that page is done now. I'm, I'll, I'll do the next thing or whatever. So Yeah. Okay. I'm going to ask a curiosity question for a second. Sure. Um, now, last podcast episode, we talked about the Enneagram. So on that same note, everybody now knows that I'm a two, right? So I love relationships, like people dynamics, and that keeps me going. So social media for me is... A lot about that, like what are people thinking of me? Like what's so and so doing? Oh, I haven't talked to so and so in a long time. Oh, look what they've been up to, you know. But for you, as a five, I'm gonna say, which everybody may have guessed that already, given what you do and what you've talked about thus far. <laughs> um, what about social media is engaging for you? Like, what do you like about it? Um. <laughs> I'm just kind of wondering if it's easier for you to set a time limit because people are not really your thing to begin with or what it is that you do find engaging about it. So I could be wrong, but I get a lot of secondhand knowledge about the Enneagram from my wife. Uh. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, it's probably um, the observer part of the five where I just like to have a window into people's lives and see what they're up to. Interesting. Um, I, my guess is that's probably where it's at. And yeah, so. And you also like to drop long, punny statements that are going to be like dry humor on all of your friends and family's pages occasionally so. <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter. Well, yeah. I mean, if I, if I think of something quirky, I feel like somebody needs to hear about it. Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, it depends on who I think it's most appropriate for that I'll share it with. <laughs> so for me, 
um, social media is a hard thing. I'm just going to say, since this is about Pause, Renew, Next, that I started this a couple years ago. And my thought about it at the time was I had a really hard time being able to be still and really spend time with God and concentrate on my own soul care. And because I'm a counselor, I was sitting with a lot of other women in my office who were having a hard time with the same thing. And I thought, wouldn't it be neat if I started a ministry that was about that, like paying attention to what the Lord's up to in our lives, being able to be still and renew our minds. And and then I started being on social media more than I've ever been on social media in my life because to try to start a business from scratch, it's not even a business. I don't get paid for this. Um, a ministry, whatever you want to call it, a platform from scratch that and have to do that like from nowhere, I haven't written any books, I'm not famous, means that you have to kind of put it out on social media. That's really the only way that you're going to have anybody know about it. I mean, you could go door to door. I could go door to door. (laughs) I don't know. I think people would be scared and they would definitely not go listen. But anyway, and so then I found myself in this achievement trap too and finding out about the way that businesses work on social media, which is they have algorithms for that too. And I was never aware of algorithms till I started Pause, Renew, Next. And basically, (laughs) and it has been very frustrating for me, they want you to pay for advertisement which I have done that once or twice, and that was not helpful either, to be honest. But um, uh, So I chose never to do that again. Um, but basically, they have algorithms that set how many people they're going to show any given thing to. So I can have hundreds of followers, and they're going to cap out how many people they're going to show it to. And if people start liking it or sharing it, then that will go up a little bit. But other than that, they're not going to show it to people. So I can work really, really hard, put my stuff out on Facebook, and then Facebook's going to limit how many people are going to ever see that. And that's been incredibly frustrating. And so I feel like I've spent more time on social media since beginning Pause, Renew, Next than I ever did before. And that's ironic and kind of sad. So that's part of the reason I've been thinking about this to begin with is how do I do this and not lose my own soul in the process and pay attention to my children when I'm trying to do this ministry that's doing the opposite of what I'm ending up doing. And so over the last couple of years, I've spent a lot of time talking to Derek about this because he's got his own business that he has to run and, and trying to figure out like how to find balance, how not to spend too much time on social media personally for Pause, Renew, Next, and also be able to market <laughs> at the same time. It's it's a hard balance to run, I feel like. Um, so I cannot do what Derek did. I tried to set like a little timer for myself and it did not work for me. So I guess I'm just built differently. So what I have to do is, um, the only thing I've found that works is if I feel like I've gotten to the point where I need to be done, like it's not healthy for me, I can't stop myself from looking too often, all that kind of stuff. And I just kind of get kind of sick about it. Um, I'll just say, I'm not going to get on it today or I'm not going to get on it till such and such. So like this weekend, I'm not getting on it again till Monday morning because I, I just got sick yesterday and was like, I need to be done with this. I feel like it's bad for me and I need to take a break. Like my brain needs a break. And so I just won't get on for hours to days at a time and then I'll get back on again. Now, I don't know. I may be able to work that out better later. But at this point, that's what's working for me. So I think each of us are different about what works and what doesn't work for us. Um, that's what's working for me right now. So Yeah, another thing that I did for a little while, um, I don't do it so much anymore now that I've set up the timer system I talked about earlier, was I, I did have it set up where I, I wouldn't get on any sort of social media stuff until after like 8 o'clock at 
night or something like that. So then it's like something I don't even consider during the day because I've already said, well, I'll, I'll wait until 8 o'clock to do that. So that's another option. Yeah. Um, I thought there was a funny quote, but it's not really funny because it's sad because it's true. But somebody on The Social Dilemma said, well, you have two options. You can look at your phone before you pee or you can look at your phone while you pee first thing in the morning. <laughs> and I thought that was funny, but also kind of true because I feel like everybody does that. Like this first thing they do when they wake up is check their social media and um, like all day, every day. And then sometimes up until the time we're going to sleep, we're still checking so I think when it comes to soul care, it's a really important idea to be self-aware about what are our hangups, what are the things that are eating time away from what we would rather be doing, because what I really want to do is be present for my kids. But if I'm thinking about what somebody posted on social media and what I want to reply to that, um, when my kid's telling me a story, then that's not really being present with them, and that's something that I'm, I've been paying attention to in my own life. Is there anything else about the movie that stood out to you or any other thoughts you had about social media? Um, I think one of the things that I don't, I haven't really considered that much until I'm watching The Social Dilemma would be the the kind of drift in kind of a macro view of like large group of people uh, when you have these systems built in place that kind of feed off of people's desires um, and the things they want to look at and how that affects large groups of people and, and how that can affect like division and, and the way that people um, on social media, they don't really, it's like you, you start putting yourself into a particular camp or another camp. And then um, you are kind of are in an echo chamber of a lot of people mm -hmm. that uh, get upset by the same things you get upset by um, or really enjoy the same th kind of things you enjoy and how that causes, um, makes it more difficult for us to relate with people that are not like us. And so I think that was one thing that kind of brought more awareness because I, I think about like the personal implications, but I don't always necessarily think about like how it affects groups of people and, and how like it may, it may affect individuals in a minor way. But then when you kind of look at the big picture, it, it causes ideologies to shift and, and that kind of thing. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, man, I'm really glad you brought that up because I had almost forgotten to even talk about it. But part of the reason we're having this conversation now and I didn't put it off till later is because the election has been a big, big part of all that. Like just how divisive everybody's been talking about how divisive it is. But they talked about how a lot of that could be social media and how the echo chambers are making everybody's ideas even more extreme or polarizing against people that think differently than them and how memes are changing the way we view each other and our relationships with other people that think differently. And, um, and they talked about other countries where it's really caused war even. So that's scary. Um, I know personally without going into detail, and I think all of us could probably relate to this if you're on social media, seeing some things that your friends are thinking or memes that they put up can sometimes be offensive almost. Like, I did not know they felt that. Oh, that makes me think of them a little bit differently now. Or family members or, you know, anybody. And so I think it's important for us to think about what we're putting on social media, first of all, um, just in, in, in our own minds. Like, is this worth... I, I had a thing happen I saw a meme happen. This is the only experience I've really had like this. Um, but I saw this meme come through all the time, all the time about 
I wish that the government wouldn't just pay for abortion, but they would pay for adoption or something. And it has this really sweet baby on it. And I cannot tell you how many times I've seen that come across my Facebook feed. And every time it makes me angry. Now, I personally am very pro-life. I am all about pro-life, but um, whenever I saw that, I would get angry. And the reason is because we've adopted out of foster care, which is a government service, and it's free. In fact, they pay you to take care of children in need. And actually, adoption through social services is free, at least in our state, for kids over the age of two. Um, and below that, still, it's pretty pretty cheap like they will help they will help and so we're in the state of North Carolina I don't want to make that broad across the whole U.S. it may different differ so anyway I finally just like posted my my thought about that and um made it public then and I've never gone viral for anything PRN I've never gone viral for much of anything but that got shared 60 times and at first it was all really, really sweet. And then it started having like backlash and somebody came on my page and said, have you even adopted? Do you even know what you're talking about? And I just felt personally attacked. Like what in the world? <laughs> I did not prepare for this. And so one of the things I learned from that is if you're willing to put something like that, you better be ready to die on whatever hill you're taking a stand for because people don't have a lot of grace on social media right at this, at this season. So um, I guess having grace for people being aware of what we're putting and also aware of the fact that we shouldn't be in echo chambers. <laughs> That's not really healthy for us as humans or for the gospel, really. Well, I think the other thing to be aware of too is like social media, I think is a great tool. Like when you're talking about staying connected with people that you, that you love and that you're uh -huh. connected to, which like we've never had something like that. Um, and until it, it kind of, it, uh, until social media came about. So I think that's the important thing to remember um, but I think it is absolutely no substitute for in-person interaction. And I think here, here, amen. I think that, that may be like, that's almost like the antidote for these kinds of like disagreements and arguments online. Like I, f I feel like if you have a strong disagreement with like a post that you, one of your friends makes, I think like talk to them in person is like the best way to build your relationship and not limit your engagement to just social media. I think that that tends to deteriorate. So, I love him. He's so succinct. He can get to the point <laughs> a lot better than me. And that was, that was great. Thanks. Um, I agree wholeheartedly. And along those same lines, I think having a pandemic, not that social media wasn't a problem before, but like literally for some of us, that may have been our only way to interact with people was through social media. So we may have been spending more time there than we would have before or over text or, Zoom or whatever, and we don't have all the nonverbal body signals from each other either, so we can really misread a lot of things when things are just written or through a meme when you can't see somebody's eyeballs. That's that's a very different thing, and we can get really heated over things and have misunderstandings that way as well. So I'm all about people and seeing whole persons, and I'm thankful a little pieces of that are getting better, and I hope it won't be that that much longer before we're not social distancing quite so much, but we'll see a little bit at a time, I guess. So Derek, while you're here, I'm going to ask you the question I ask all my guests, which is, what are you doing lately for your own soul care? And I just want to say, while you're thinking, um, I told him I was going to ask him that one ahead of time. And he was like, oh, that sounds kind of girly. 
<laughs> so men can have soul care too. How would you phrase it differently? Like let's let's make it sound not quite so girly. Um, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> how's it going? Yeah. Okay. So lately, how's it going? There you go. <laughs> um. So, I think. I think for me, um, I my job is kind of by myself at this point. I would probably a lot of people that normally wouldn't be by themselves are also by themselves at this point. Um, so I think for me, uh, even being a introverted five and, and whatnot, um, I think the best encouragement for me, uh, is being with other, other guys that are uh, trying to grow in their relationship with God and, um, and being a challenge and encouragement for each other. So I think probably for me, I, I do this group called, um, F3, which is fitness, fellowship, and faith. And uh, basically it's, uh, men's groups that meet across the, the region, uh, to do physical fitness in the mornings. Um, and then we'll have a little devotional afterward. And so I've been doing that and that's been a really good encouragement for me. Um, just having a place that I belong, um, every morning basically, <laughs> uh, and to meet the same group of guys every, every day and challenge and encourage each other to get better physically, but also uh, spiritually. Um, and I think that's great. That's been a, a huge encouragement for me. It's something that I, I had been looking for when I knew that I was going to be working alone. Uh, I, I, I don't want to get into the whole backstory, but I typically had worked with a, a partner. I still work with him, but he's moved. Um, and so I have to have a lot of uh, alone time at work. Um, and so I think having an opportunity to meet with other people on an almost daily basis um, is really good for me. And then also I have a men's group I'm a part of at at church, uh, doing a Bible study on Wednesday mornings, and then the other mornings I do the F3 thing. And so I think that's been uh, a great way for me to stay encouraged, stay challenged, um, and to in, in my faith. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, those have been really good for you. And on a side note, because he started getting up so early, which I was annoyed about at the beginning, it's actually helped me in my faith too because you wake me up. And so I have all this alone, quiet time in the morning before the boys wake up. I drink my coffee. I read the Bible. The cat comes and sits on my lap. Sometimes I do other things too, like social media, which isn't helpful. <laughs> uh, sometimes I work on PRN stuff or, or other things while I have a, some quiet time. So it's been good. I know it's been good for you. And the last question I want to ask you is, which you were on a previous episode. I don't remember which one. I'm going to say it was like number, I think it was number 14. It might not have been. It was somewhere around there. So you may have listed a scripture then, but do you have a scripture passage that's standing out to you right now or that you found encouraging lately? So I don't have a particular verse that I can think of at the moment, but um, in our men's Bible study, we've been studying First uh, Corinthians, which um, I think has been kind of... Uh, it's been a good lens to look at this time um, in our nation through because First Corinthians is a lot about unity in the body and, and what it looks like for uh, Christians that come from different backgrounds to give each other grace. Um, and so I think that's been um, uh, a meaningful scripture for me uh, the past few weeks as we've been studying it. Um, so I think I think one of the things that is is great to kind of be aware of is that a lot of times divisions between people, at least in the body of Christ, happen when um, 
someone does not have grace for someone else. And so you have somebody that's like, I'm right. And the, my view has to be your view too. Um, or we can't, we can't be together. And so I think like having love for each other and having that grace for each other, that even, even if they're wrong, even if you know that, you know, that they're incorrect, um, still having grace for that, um, and love for them is, is a beautiful thing. I think that's what brings unity and like, Oftentimes, I mean, if there's a disagreement, oftentimes somebody is wrong. Um, but I think there's still a place for love there and there's still a place for grace there. So. So now all of you listeners know why I married him. He's the best, huh? That was, oh, man. That was a good word. Way <laughs> to go. Yeah. I agree 100%. Anything else you wanted to say we didn't talk about? You need to ask me something fun about myself that people probably don't know. What's something fun about yourself that people probably don't know? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have any answer for that. Okay. <laughs> that was productive. All right. <laughs> well, thanks for being on the podcast, Tony. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Yeah. So listeners, if you are listening to this podcast or you go watch, watch The Social Dilemma and you have some thoughts about it or some questions or some questions for my husband about technology and you would like to have him back in the future or something like that, you can drop some questions um, either on the Facebook page. Oh, see, now we're talking about social media again. Or like private message on the Facebook page if you want to or comment on the show notes. Uh, at the Pause Renew Next website, and that website is pauserenewnext.com. I would say you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Pause Renew Next. But friends, for your own soul care, if you need to not do that, that's okay. That is okay too. You have permission not to do that as well. But I do love to hear from you guys and anything that resonates with you from listening to the podcast. Um, and speaking of algorithms, it is really, really helpful if you can go out and give a rating and or a review on your favorite podcasting app and subscribe. That's really, really helpful. Speaking of algorithms, because that helps other people find this podcast a little more easily when it's rated and reviewed, it shows up a little more easily on all the podcast apps. So thank you for that. And you can come back in two weeks. I'll have a new episode, and I'm really excited about it. It's going to be a biography episode. I try to do two of those a year, so that's our. It'll be the one for the fall. And I'm not going to tell you who it's about, but she's fascinating. So you will definitely want to come back and hear that. Well, I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN. Pause, renew, next. The podcast. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus.